Life Audio. Hey there, friend. Heather Creekmore here. I'm glad you're listening to the Compared to Who show today. Hey, if you're listening in real time, Merry Christmas. And guess what? Today, my brand new book releases. This is launch day for my 40-day body image workbook, Help for Christian Women Who've Tried Everything. Have you tried everything? Have you tried all the diets, all the fitness plans, all the supplements, all the special powders and potions? You're not alone. I get you. That's why I wrote this book for you. (laughs) And it comes out today. So grab your copy on Amazon, christianbook.com, Baker Bookhouse has them. Grab it wherever you can get it at Target and Walmart, honestly, too, uh, online. Uh, Anywhere you love to buy books, you can probably find this book. So I hope you grab a copy. And hey, let me give you a couple hints. A great way to do this is to do it with a friend. So you can read it through like a book. It has just as many words as a regular book, even though it's a workbook. You can just read it through if you want to, but then grab a friend and work through it on your own and then talk about your answers together. And that will create accountability and fellowship and camaraderie and a bond that will help you keep your freedom for a long, 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 long time. I hope till you get to heaven. Um, So if you want to do it with a bigger group, a couple people, I have a facilitator's guide for you available on my website. Go to improvebodyimage.com, look for the books tab, find the 40-day body image workbook tab, and you will find a link to that facilitator's guide. If you can't find it, drop me an email, heather at comparedto.me. Also, if you want to do a bigger group, which I would say you would maybe split, do a big group and talk about things and then maybe split for some of the more personal items. I um, can talk to you about where you can get some group discounts on buying the book. So drop me an email. In that case too, Heather at ComparedTo.me. I'd love to help you facilitate a group of women getting free in this new year. Okay. A new diet's not going to get them free. A new exercise program is not going to get them free. Body image issues are heart issues. And that's what this book works on. So grab one for yourself, grab one for a friend. And Hey, I also have these walking workouts. If you grab one before the end of this year, you can download five walking workouts that I created to help you process the content. And you can get that through the website, improvebodyimage.com, the 40 day body image workbook tab, and you'll see the link there to sign up for those five walking workouts. Really, they say that if you're walking, doing something is kind of bilateral movement, I believe it's called, uh, that helps your brain to really get to places where maybe it couldn't get otherwise if you're just sitting down listening or reading content. So hopefully those walks will be a blessing to you. You can grab those if you order your book before December 31st. Uh, Today, Oh boy, friends, today we're talking about 1 Timothy 4. Now you probably know 1 Timothy 4 from that verse. I I call it the biblical justification for exercise verse. The, you know, physical training is of some earthly good. And we kind of skip the whole rest of the chapter and we (laughs) just use that verse on our Christian workout t-shirts. We're going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about what's just like one paragraph before in 1 Timothy, where Paul is telling Timothy to ignore those people with food rules. Wait, what? He's telling people that it's false teachers that are telling them that they shouldn't eat certain foods. And oh, y'all, it's all right there in the Bible. Who knew? So grab your Bible and let's dig into 1 Timothy 4 today. I'm glad you're here. Let's go.
Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel His love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of Scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. So before we get too far today, I want to just give you a little context as to how I ended up here. (laughs) I read through the Bible every single year. And this year, I am reading through the Bible with the Bible Projects reading plan on Uversion. If y'all don't have the Uversion app, just go get the Uversion app. I've got a brand new reading plan there for my new book, too. So if you are not in a regular habit of Bible reading, okay, that should be number one on your New Year's resolution list. And if you are, hey, there's some great content on Uversion. So check that out. But I've read through the Bible several times. I don't know. I might be up to 10 by now. And I have read 1 Timothy 4 every single year of those 10 and and probably many, many, many more times growing up in church and Christian schools and Christian college and all the places. And this year, for some reason, 1 Timothy 4 just struck me a little differently. I saw things in 1 Timothy 4 that I'm sure were there all along. I know they were, but I just never saw before. So to more fully prepare to talk about 1 Timothy 4, I've been doing a little bit of research. And part of that research included going to my go-to site, which is Gospel in Life, and listening and looking for any content by my favorite, Tim Keller, on this topic. And there wasn't a sermon on this topic by Tim Keller, but there was another pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City named Jeff White, who preached a sermon in 1994 called The Freedom of Contentment, Life of Grateful Joy. And he talked about this passage there. So I want to make sure to give credit where credit is due, because some of the thoughts included in today's show were certainly inspired by Jeff White's sermon. And I'll try to give him specific credit credit as I perhaps may quote him as we go today. But y'all, there's so much good stuff here. So let's just start by reading the passage. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. And Timothy was kind of like a spiritual son to Paul. Timothy was someone who Paul had mentored, discipled, and kind of raised up in the faith. So then Timothy goes and really has his own ministry. And Paul is just encouraging his young disciple as to what to do with some of the issues that are being created at the church he's at in Ephesus, which you may recognize from the book of Ephesians, where Paul's writing directly to that church. So let me start by reading 1 Timothy 4. My subhead in the English Standard Version of the Bible is some will depart from the faith. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. 
If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And I'm going to stop right there. That was through verse 10. And as I read this recently, I was just kind of in shock, right? That that scripture goes right out and says... Don't listen to those who forbid certain foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, right? Everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Wait, what? How can that be? Surely that's not what scripture is teaching, that everything can be received with thanksgiving. What does this mean? Well, that's what we're going to dig into right after this quick break. Are you tired of constantly telling yourself, I shouldn't feel this way? It's so many of us guilt trip or gaslight ourselves instead of working our way through those complicated feelings. You should be a good friend, even though you feel hurt by past betrayals. You should be content, even though you feel lonely or unfulfilled. We've all been there, haven't we? But what if there is a way to reset these toxic mental tapes that sabotage our days? In her groundbreaking new book, I Shouldn't Feel This Way, Dr. Allison Cook encouraged you to not just silence those thoughts, but actually come face to face with them. You can find emotional freedom, learn to see through the haze of conflicted feelings and move forward in your life with confidence. Pairing biblically sound principles with over 20 years of research and clinical practice, licensed therapist and best-selling author, Dr. Allison Cook guides you through a practical three-step process to find the freedom you crave. Change starts when you finally stop beating yourself up for the way that you feel and say, you know what? I do feel this way and I can finally do something about it. Take the first step towards clarity and peace today with I Shouldn't Feel This Way by Dr. Allison Cook. Available now wherever books are sold. So like I said, I listened to a sermon by Jeff White on this, and and Jeff did a great job of explaining that really the principle under the principle here is that Paul is trying to give Timothy a framework for understanding the Christian life. And two of those basic pillars are contentment, and godliness. Now, contentment is something I did a whole podcast on, another podcast based on um, Tim Keller's teaching. And really that message was about Philippians 4 and all the different ways that we confuse the very famous verse, I can do all things through Christ, as, as being about like winning sports events, when really that's about being content. And here again, Paul is talking about the same principle of contentment. What does it look like to live a life where you are thankful for what God has given you? Because when we are content, it really changes everything. In fact, I talk about in my book, The Burden of Better, how understanding grace and God's grace and all the grace that has been showered on us really does change our heart to be more content. And it really changes the way we see everything where if I am fully in understanding of grace and contentment, it's very difficult for me to covet what my neighbor has or to be envious of how she looks in a swimsuit 
because my eyes are on my own life and how good God has been to me. And that perspective changes it all. But contentment, if that is really the theme of 1 Timothy 4, then then that kind of changes the way we read this. Because what Paul is saying is it's okay to enjoy food. Wait, what? He's saying, don't listen to the heretics that are telling you you shouldn't get married or you shouldn't eat certain foods. And, and really, the group he's talking to is a group that advocated really abstinence from pleasure in general, that, that if you were going to be religious, you should abstain from pleasure. But the truth is, God created pleasure. He also created matter. He created our bodies. He created food. And it's okay for those two things to go together. Because like it says here in verse four, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected, rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Wait a second. Was your body created by God? Yes, it was. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Was your food created by God? Yes, it was. Nothing is to be rejected if it was received with thanksgiving. Friend, what if the key to contentment, and there's actually scientific studies on this, is gratitude, right? And what would gratitude do for not only the way we think about our bodies, but also the way we think about our food, Now, let me go on to verse five because it connects here. And then really remember, like our modern Bibles have things broken down in verses. But when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, it was just a letter. It didn't have little numbers in it. And so verse five is actually just the last phrase from the sentence that verse four begins. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, comma, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so the second principle here that Jeff White pulls out is not only are we to be content, we are to be godly, right? All these things that we find pleasure in are made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so part of that is where we get our kind of tradition of blessing our food before we eat, right? We can make it holy by the word of God in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this feast that you've prepared for me, or thank you, Lord, for my lunch, or thank you, Lord, for my bagel, right? We can pray and ask God to bless it. But in doing so, we are receiving it with thanksgiving. We are being grateful. Oh, friend, I don't know how many diets you've been on. Oh, I've been on a number of them. And let me tell you, it was hard to receive my food with thanksgiving. So I remember way back in college, I would eat, are you ready for this? Barbecue tuna. It was a Weight Watchers recipe. And I would have pita bread filled with like tuna that I just put in a skillet with barbecue sauce and I think some onions and green peppers maybe. And I would eat that all the time. And my college roommates, if one of them is listening, they're probably laughing right now because they, like I was notorious for making this barbecue tuna that they all thought was disgusting. And it probably was disgusting. Um, But I don't think I was 
eating it or receiving it with Thanksgiving. I was eating it because I felt like I had to eat it. Otherwise, I would be fat. Oh, how does receiving our food with Thanksgiving change our attitude towards eating? And I wonder, to take this one step further, right? There's studies out there that talk about satisfaction. In fact, this is a whole chapter in my brand new book, The 40-Day Body Image Workbook, where I talk about satisfaction with food and that that's something that God allows us <laughs> to enjoy. But there's actually a scientific study and it's commonly called the Mind Over Milkshake Study, where they give two different groups of people the same milkshake, but one group is told it's a sensi shake, like a diet shake, and the other group is told it's the real thing, like the full fat chocolate ice cream and the whole milk and all the good stuff. And you know what happened? The group that thought that they were eating something really good, really rich, the full fat milkshake... They got full. They felt their fullness. They felt satisfaction and fullness. The group that drank the Sensi Shake, they didn't. And the hormone that is created with fullness is ghrelin. And they didn't have the same ghrelin response to feel their fullness. Some were still hungry afterwards, but they sucked them down because they were diet shakes. There is something physiologically created in us by God that happens when we enjoy our food, when we delight in it as a good gift, when we don't reject it, when we receive it with thanksgiving. I think there's actually something God created in us that responds to that and we feel full faster. I mean, isn't that a crazy concept to think about how dieting takes us on a path to avoid fullness and avoid satisfaction, right? You want sour cream, but eat plain Greek yogurt instead. And let me tell you, I've tried the plain Greek yogurt and it's not awful, but it's not as good as sour cream. Dieting gives us all these substitutes, but what if in trying all these substitutes, we miss out on what God says to do with our food, which is to not reject it, to receive it with thanksgiving and be thankful for it. And maybe that combined with the way he made our bodies with the ghrelin response to respond when something tastes good and we're satisfied and we're full, like maybe we've just really gotten this all wrong. Would we all be thinner had we never dieted? That's, that's something I'm curious about. Did we mess so much with that natural way we were created and born to eat and created and born to enjoy food? The dieting and the past diets we've done have just made it so much harder on our bodies now. I, I don't know, but it's interesting, isn't it? But I want you to see that Christianity is not anti-pleasure. In fact, there's a line in Screwtape Letters. Um, now, remember, Screwtape Letters is written by C.S. Lewis, and so it's kind of confusing because whenever you read the enemy, it's a demon actually talking about God. <laughs> so the enemy is actually God. But he talks about how the enemy is a hedonist at heart. Out there in his sea is pleasure and more pleasure and more pleasure. God is not against pleasure. And yet, oh boy, I think we've been body shamed and food shamed and shame shamed 
around enjoying food. Like think about the words we use, like uh, devil's food, right? It's devil's food cake. Like it's from the devil or um, sinfully delicious, right? Sinful or we cheat on our diets. Cheating on your diet, is that actually the same as cheating on your husband? <laughs> like, like we make it sound like eating certain foods is the same as committing adultery. And those two things are very, very different, right? So where did that get started? Well, it got started really way back in the first century when Paul's writing to Timothy with these certain groups of people, the Stoics, the Gnostics, um, even the Buddhists, believe that you shouldn't have any desires, that salvation is attained when you get rid of all your desires, right? But these were not Christian principles. This is not the gospel. God is not against pleasure. God instead, though, wants us to put pleasure in the right perspective. And that doesn't mean being very careful about not having too much pleasure and trying to find just the right amount of pleasure. I mean, I feel like that's what we do with gluttony too often. And I did two podcasts on gluttony this year. If you haven't listened to those, hey, go listen to those uh, before the holidays (laughs) or before Christmas is here. But I feel like it's become this like, okay, well, I can eat and enjoy this much, like, you know, this much. But if I go a little bit over, then I'm going to be a glutton. And then like the alarm bell is going to sound, you've overdone it. Now you've had too much pleasure, right? And that's not like God doesn't have a scale set up for that. If he did, I think it would be laid out for us in scripture. Instead, God's framework for us enjoying pleasure, participating in pleasure is godliness. If your pleasure is outside of your godliness, then you got a problem, right? And so, okay, let's let's just use an example here because we use this example when we were talking about some what I'm going to just call bad Christian teaching around food, where someone had, someone very famous had written something kind of comparing abstaining from food to abstaining from premarital sex, that those were somehow kind of the same thing. And we just had to make choices that were right for God. And friend, that's just not biblical. You, you read first Timothy four with me. There are not those kind of rules around food, but there are those kind of rules around sex, right? So godliness in terms of abstaining from pleasure around sex when it's outside of marriage, yes, absolutely. That pleasure has to be put off until marriage. That pleasure is wrong because it is not godly. But pleasure around food, there's there's no rule against that. Instead, the framework we have is gratitude. We can have pleasure but we have to remember who provided that pleasure. Who are we thankful to and for? It's God. And so, yes, to sit down at a meal and say, I have provided all this for myself. I have done this for me. I don't know that that meets the standard of godliness. It doesn't sound like we're being thankful to God for that. It sounds a little self-focused. And then I'm going to oh loop this right back to dieting, my friends. 
right? I can't think of the number of times that I made myself the diet food, the special meal that I had to make for me while everyone else ate something else. And I sat down and I had some certain degree of satisfaction around, I provided this for myself because this is what's healthiest and best for me and go me and I am doing the thing. And I wonder, was I actually thankful to God for that? Who was I taking pleasure in in that scenario? I think I was taking pleasure in myself. I think I was believing that I was providing something for myself. And really, probably, yikesville, maybe being happy that I was abstaining from the food everyone else was eating and providing for myself a quote unquote better way so that I could attempt to control the size or the shape or the look of my body, which again, I, in doing so was not giving thanks to the Lord for my body, which he made. I was not calling it good. I was saying it's okay, or I don't like it, but I know it could be better if I just do this thing. Y'all, it's so, so tricky and messy, but I just want you to hypothesize with me that maybe we're just not getting this right. Maybe what we've believed about pleasure and about food and about the way we eat and about the way we take care of our bodies has been skewed, not by the gospel, but by these teachings, false teachings, these teachers that maybe have a different agenda for us. (laughs) And Paul had something to say to Timothy about this. So get out your Bible and read this. And let's look at another scripture quick. Luke 17 verses 11 to 19 is a story where Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. And I'm just going to start reading for you at verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And as you may recall, Samaritans and the Jews did not get along all that great. In verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So here we have another illustration of the important role of thanksgiving giving, right? Jesus wants us to be thankful. God wants us to be thankful for the good gifts he has given us, including our bodies and including our food. But here's the thing. I think we get too stuck in this concept of Thanksgiving and even the concept of contentment in, well, it's got to be something I like first. Like what if I'm not really happy with the Christmas presents I'm going to open here in a couple weeks? Like, how can I be thankful for that? Like, oh, yikes, my husband bought me a vacuum cleaner or in my family of origin, my dad bought my mom a pink hairdryer one year. And that's a Christmas I'll never forget because that did not go well for him. But what do you do if you don't feel thankful for the gifts you have? If you don't feel thankful for your body, if you don't feel thankful for food, if food has been your enemy for a long time, like what do you do? And I think the concept is... That when you know the artist, 
when you know the creator, when you know the one who made all things, you can be more thankful because your focus is not on the things that you're trying to derive pleasure from. Your focus is on the creator, the artist, or even let's put it this way, the gift giver. So what happens, something different would happen if you opened a pink hairdryer from your husband versus opening a pink hairdryer from your 12-year-old who used their allowance money and went to the store and bought you that, right? When your 12-year-old gives you that pink hairdryer, you are like, thank you so much. That was so thoughtful. I can't believe you spent your allowance money on me. Oh, I love you so much. That was so kind, right? Yeah. If your husband does it, he may not get the same kind of pass. <laughs> Maybe he should. That's probably another podcast episode, right? But let me, let me use another illustration. Let's talk about art, right? So chances are your children, uh, like mine, uh, created a lot of artwork in their early years. How did you respond to that art? Were you like, yeah, this really isn't very good. Have you seen anything that Picasso does? <laughs> like, let's go to the art uh, art gallery so you can actually see what real art, art is because you're just not there. No, you don't do that, right? Because you know the artist. You love that little artist. You say, this is beautiful. I love this so much. I can't wait to hang it on the fridge. Let's make one for grandma too, Right? The more you love the artist, the more you love the giver, the more you love the creator, the more thankful and excited and joyful and content you will be from their gifts. And it's the same with God. Can you be content with your gifts from him? The more you get to know him, the more content you will be. It's not that he needs to bring you different gifts. It's not that he needs to zap your body into a different form so that you can be content. No, your thanksgiving will heighten your enjoyment of the gift. Try it. It's like I said, the science is out there. The gratitude journals, I I used a study in The Burden of Better where they compared accident victims who kept gratitude journals to lottery winners and the accident victims, and I believe they were paralyzed from their waist down accident victims, were more grateful than those who had won the lottery because gratitude changes our heart and Thanksgiving heightens our enjoyment. So let's go back to the second part of 1 Timothy 4. And again, this is a letter, so there was no break between verses 5 and 6, but there is in my Bible. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, semicolon. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Okay, so I don't know if you're like me, but I had heard this bodily training is of some value verse as the (laughs) biblical apologetic for exercise. Y'all, it's a phrase. It's not even a full sentence. It's a phrase. It follows a semicolon and is followed by another phrase. Okay, so it's smack dab in the middle of a sentence. It is, what, six, seven words, 
right? It is not an apologetic for exercise, okay? Exercise is fine. Exercise is good. But this whole passage is not about why you should exercise. This is about why you should be godly and why it's so much more important, my friend, that you wake up and you read your Bible rather than that you wake up and you get your workout in. Because when you wake up and get your workout in, but you don't wake up and read your Bible, what are you training for? Hmm. Are you training your body for this earth? You're trying to make your body look different for this life. What are you planning for? What are you preparing for? What, what are you doing? You got to train for godliness. Now, if you can do both, yay, that's fine. But godliness has to come first. And again, please don't read more into what I'm saying than what I'm saying. You can read your Bible at night. (laughs) You can read your Bible in the middle of the day. You can do your training for godliness at a time other than in the morning. But if that spin class or that workout is more important to you than your time with God, then you have a problem, my friend. You are training your body for this life, but you are not training in godliness for this life and for the life to come. Because remember that training in godliness, it's not just for heaven, it's for here. Oh, friend, (laughs) having a godly perspective on everything is going to change everything about your life like we just talked about. That training in godliness is where that contentment comes from. It's where that thanksgiving comes from. As you become holy, more holy, right? We'll never be perfect at holiness here. But as you have a more holy perspective on life, boy, it does change the way you think about your exercise and your body and your food. And I think what Paul is saying here is have an eternal perspective, Get your eyes off of this life and all of its worries and woes and get your eyes focused above. But it's hard to have an eternal perspective when we are discontent. And Jeff White used an amazing illustration in the sermon that I referenced earlier and he talked about a teacher who did an experiment with her class, and there were some kids in the class that were extremely poor. And the experiment was that she offered them a penny lollipop today, or if they could wait, if they could delay the gratification, she would give them an ice cream sundae later in a week or so. Well, the wealthier children from the you know wealthier homes in the class were able to delay gratification. They said, yes, we will wait for the ice cream sundae. But the poorer children took the penny lollipop because they weren't sure if there would be a tomorrow. The scarcity mentality around food, <laughs> around life, makes you take it today because you don't know if you'll have it tomorrow. And wow, how applicable is this to us? If we believe this life is all we have, then we've got to put everything we have into making it awesome. We have to have all the pleasure, all the contentment, all the joy, all the things, right? We try to accumulate stuff for ourselves. We try to have a body that no one will ever disapprove of. We try to accumulate wealth. We put everything into this life when we forget about the life to come. 
But when we know that heaven is out there, when heaven is our goal, when we know that this is not my home, then how should that change things, right? Of course, I'm going to care for my body, but wow, I I don't have the same amount of pressure to make my body satisfy me by the way it looks. And by the way, I don't actually think that's possible. (laughs) Um, I don't have the same pressure to make a lot of money so I can experience like how fabulous wealth is. In fact, there's this Jim Carrey quote. I think it's a Jim Carrey quote. It was attributed to him on the meme I saw it on, but it was something like, I hope that everyone who believes that, you know, wealth and fame will make them happy will someday get wealth and fame so they can see that it won't make them happy. Right. And it's the same, same principle, right? We can chase a better body, believing that it will satisfy us, believing that someday we're going to have a body that will just so, oh, it'll be so fun to get dressed and it'll be so fun to go places and everyone will just like love the way we look and it'll just be so great all the time. And that's a false satisfaction that doesn't actually happen. I work with clients all the time, y'all, in my coaching, and I hear the same story over and over again. They either were that size or they did something and they got to that size and they stayed at that size a while and it wasn't enough. The number of times I've heard a woman who lost more than 100 pounds say that she got on the scale and the day she reached her goal weight, looked at that scale and thought, I just need five more. It's never enough because God didn't create us to find rest, satisfaction, and joy in the things that he created in this world. He created us to find rest, satisfaction, joy, peace, love in him alone. And when we look to things to fill us, when we look to having a better body to make us satisfied or bring us joy, peace, and rest, when we look to following a diet perfectly or having a better home or a better family or a husband or a better husband, we look to those things to fulfill us We're actually caught up in idolatry, aren't we? Which is the first commandment, right? We take the legitimate pleasures that he created for us and we make them illegitimate because we make them ultimate pleasures. They lose their legitimacy when we try to find our satisfaction in them because we were meant to find contentment in Christ alone. I'm going to close this out today by revisiting verse 10. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Oh, friend, those words toil and strive stuck out to me, right? Because I, I feel like often, and maybe mine says we can stop the striving, right? Stop striving. But the stop striving is we stop striving for the ways that the world has told us will make us better, We stop striving for the best body or the best home or the best car because those things won't ultimately fulfill us. But we do toil and strive towards godliness. And oh goodness, that's that's hard. That is toil, right? It is toil. It is painful when you set your own selfish motives aside and say, no, I'm going to do this because this is more loving. It is toil when we don't get our own way. We have to strive to be more like Jesus. And that is daggum hard sometimes, right? Being kind to someone who doesn't deserve it. 
forgiving someone that keeps offending us or hurting us over and over again, forgiving them, yikes, Ooh, toil and strife. But we have Jesus with us. We can do that only because he is in us, <laughs> only because he's working through us. I cannot be holy on my own. I cannot be good in any way on my own. So I can toil and strive in my effort to become more godly because it is Christ in me. And what a difference that is from toiling and striving to become thinner, from toiling and striving to have a better body, to look better, to have people notice how good I look, to have, you know, a body that I can be proud of. That's a different goal than toiling and striving towards godliness. Again, I'm not saying you can't take care of your body. I'm not saying you can't wear makeup or go get your hair colored or work out or lift those weights or go for that run. No, no, no. But you do have to ask your heart, what do I really want? What do I really long for? Do I really long for Jesus and the things of his kingdom? Or do I long for beauty or a better body or the things of this kingdom. Oh, yikes. It's Christmas time. You know, most of us with body image issues, we have a hard time believing that we are worthy, believing that we are valuable, believing that just because we are made in his image, our bodies are good and that he loves us and he made us on purpose for his purpose. We have a difficult time believing that. We believe that our bodies are more valuable than other things about us. We believe that our bodies and the way they look is what gives us value and it's tough. But let me encourage you with this. One of my favorite Christmas hymns, Oh Holy Night. There's a line in it that I think speaks to our body image issues in a beautiful way and might offer us a great landing point for today. And that line is this, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Hmm. Isn't that what we really want? We want our souls to know that we're worthy, that we're valuable. And we try to accomplish that through changing our body through going on the next new year's resolution diet <laughs> for starting the next plan it never works. We're never satisfied. It's the Christmas message. It's the coming of Jesus. He came so that he could die on the cross for my sins and for yours, that we could be reconnected to God so that we can one day live with him forever. Friend, when he appeared, your soul felt its worth. Your worth is only found in him. And I pray that you'll remember that today through this whole Christmas season and for life. Thanks so much for listening today and all year long. This is the last episode of this year. We'll be right back with you the beginning of January to encourage you through the month of January. I'm going to be talking about some of the principles from my new 40-day body image workbook. So grab that workbook so you know what we're talking about and where we're going. And I'm just excited for you. 
You don't have to struggle with body image issues. This does not have to be the way your life is characterized. You can be free. And I am honored that you're allowing me to be part of your freedom journey. Reach out if you need extra help or support. Coaching will start again in January. And hey, dig out your Bible, read First Timothy 4 and see what you think. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And thanks again for listening and supporting the Compare To Show this year. I hope something today has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. Compared to show is proud to be part of the Life Audio Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to lifeaudio.com. This, this is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.